Matthew uh, chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. It may be found on page 1049 of your Red Pew Bible, Matthew 21, beginning with verse 1. Listen to God's word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house should be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, this morning as we look at this familiar text, we pray that by your spirit, that you might move in a mighty way, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now indignant is not a word that I use very often in West Texas. I tend to say someone is angry or furious or irate. Furious or angry like this golfer. We've got a picture of an angry golfer. It's the Master Sunday. I'd like to show that with you. I... You ever been that kind of angry before? Or angry like this woman whose hair is literally standing on end. We've got a picture of a woman there. So angry she doesn't know what to do. Her hair is standing on end. Or, or frustrated like this little kid. We've got a picture of a little child here. Ah, just gritted her teeth. So angry. So frustrated. That's what indignant means, right? You're angry. You know, doctors tell us that anger is a physiological response to an outside stimulus. When we become angry, our bodies release adrenaline, our heart rate picks up, our muscles tighten, and like the little girl in that photo we just saw, our teeth will sometimes clench, we'll we'll clench our fists, and, and even yell like the woman whose hair was standing on head. 
That's how the chief priests and the scribes felt about Jesus. They were indignant. They were angry. They were furious. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates Matthew uh, 21, verse 15 to 16. He's, he writes it this way. When the religious leaders saw the outrageous things he was doing and heard all the children running and shouting through the temple, Hosanna to David's son, they were up in arms. They took him to task. Do you hear what these children are saying? Why were the religious leaders up in arms? Why were they so indignant, so furious, so angry, so irate with Jesus? After all, in verse 14 of our text, we read, and the blind, uh, we read in our text that and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Jesus was healing the blind and lame who were coming to the temple. That, that's a very good, good thing. That should not make someone angry, but rather joyful, celebratory, like the children were. In fact, the children that the scribes and the Pharisees are so upset with are simply repeating what they heard the crowd saying as Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. Hosanna to the son of David. Why are the scribes and the chief priests so indignant, so angry with Jesus in our text this morning? Well, according to psychologists, there are three basic emotions that tend to drive our anger. Fear, frustration, or hurt. Now, Jesus is not hurting any of the scribes, the chief priests in our text this morning, although his turning over the temple, tables in the temple, uh, obviously disrupting the, uh, the, 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 the business going on inside the temple, may have somehow hurt the, the chief priest's wallets if somehow they were getting some financial benefit from allowing people to sell things inside the temple walls. That may have hurt their wallet, but, but he's not physically hurting anyone. So why are the chief priests and the scribes so angry? so irate, so indignant with Jesus. Well, the actions of Jesus in the crowd are are certainly frustrating to Jesus. Remember, anger is a physiological response to three basic emotions, frustration, fear, and hurt. And what Jesus is doing is clearly frustrating the chief priests and the scribes. You see, the chief priests and the scribes were considered the religious leaders of Jerusalem But over the last three years, Jesus, this carpenter's son, a son of a carpenter from Nazareth, has been growing in popularity as he continues to cast out demons and preach to the masses and heal those who are sick, talking to them about the the coming of the kingdom of God. Yes, Jesus was so popular that when he came into the city of Jerusalem, the people gave him an impromptu parade with, with palm branches as he rode a humble donkey into town, a fulfillment of the passage that Phyllis read just a moment ago in Zechariah chapter 9. Yes, the people have been cheering Jesus, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And now the children are saying the very same thing. Hosanna to the son of David. The chief priests and the scribes are frustrated with Jesus' popularity. Because they were the ones that people should have looked to for religious leaderships. They're the ones that people should have been celebrating. They're jealous. They're frustrated. Furthermore, they're they're fearful of what they hear these children saying. Because if you translate the word Hosanna, it literally means save us. So what the children are saying is save us, son of David. The crowds have been saying save us, son of David. And they're fearful that if the Roman officials hear what the people are saying about Jesus, they'll immediately think that, well, that Jesus has come to start some kind of rebellion to save them from Roman rule to launch some kind of rebellion. Because the chief priests and the scribes know that if a rebellion happens, then the Roman government 
will most likely shut down the temple. In fact, destroy the temple that they have worked so hard to have rebuilt. The chief priests and the scribes are are content with the current situation that they're in. Under Pontius Pilate, they're able to worship God how they want to. And the people of Israel look to them, the chief priests and the scribes, as the religious leaders of their day. And now Jesus is threatening their leadership. It's becoming clear that they don't have much control of the children or the crowds. It's their pride leads them to believe that they are in control. But Jesus' activity is making it clear that they are not in control. They can't control the crowds. They can't even control the children who are in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. As the chief priests and the scribes expect people to look to them for religious leadership. But now the crowds are looking to Jesus and he's doing some remarkable things. They're also concerned that the cries of the children in the temple may lead the Roman officials to think that Jesus has come to start some type of uprising or insurrection. They are threatened and frustrated by Jesus' popularity. Their pride and their fear prevent them from seeing what God is clearly doing in and through Jesus. You know, pride inevitably leads to anxiety, fear. Because pride tries to teach us or lead us to believe that we are in control, but inevitably we will, over time, discover that we are in fact not in control. And as we lose control, we become more anxious. Yes, if we're prideful, we think that we are in control of our own destiny. But when those things begin to fall apart, we quickly become anxious and fearful. For instance, when I was in high school, I proudly thought that I was in control of my own basketball career. As a, as a freshman and sophomore, I, I was one of the leading scorers uh, in uh, Midland Lee's, uh, on our, on our, in our basketball program at Midland Lee. And as a sophomore, I had been the leading scorer for the JV team. And so as I went into my junior year, I made varsity and thought I would get to play a lot. But unfortunately, I had a back injury. When I came back from my back injury, I wasn't getting to play very much. And I was realizing quickly that I, that I wasn't in control of my basketball career, that I'd be humbled. And I was very anxious and, and fearful because in my pride, I thought I was in control. But as I lost control, I realized how much fear and anxiety I had. Have you ever, have you ever thought you were in control? Proudly thought that you were in control and that life happened and you realized that you weren't in control. You were filled with great anxiety and fear. The unexpected layoff comes, or the dreaded diagnosis is given, or the marriage ends. The realization that we are not in control can be unsettling. It can lead us to have a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of frustration, which can often lead to a lot of anger. The chief priests and scribes in our text this morning are angry with Jesus because they're frustrated that Jesus has become more popular than them. They're afraid that his popularity may lead to an uprising that could ultimately lead to the destruction of the temple. Their pride has led them to become anxious as they realize they're out of control. This loss of control has led to great anger towards Jesus. What an incredible contrast the children are in our text this morning to the chief priests and the scribes. The children are freely praising the healing power of Jesus While the chief priests are indignant, angry, and furious to see what Jesus is doing. In fact, previously, in Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4, Jesus had used children as an object lesson for his very own disciples. For we read, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn... 
and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, as adults, we can learn a lot from our children. Children must humbly depend on the help and the assistance and the guidance of others. They know that they are not in control. For a child, a young child, is always being told where to go and what to do. And I have found that the children who have the most joy are the ones who are willing to submit to the authority of adults. As an adult, we can learn We can learn from children and what it means to submit to our Heavenly Father by obeying His Word and not trying to insist on our own way, but rather freely going wherever the God calls us to go, doing whatever the Lord calls us to do. It's the greatest contentment that will be found as we humble ourselves like children, recognizing that we are not in control, that God is ultimately in control, and for that we give thanks and praise. Did you notice in our text that when Jesus needs a donkey to rise, he tells his disciples exactly where to go, where he will find a donkey tied to a colt. He tells them exactly what they need to say in order to get that donkey from the owner. Now, how did Jesus know exactly where to send his disciples and exactly what needed to be said in order to get the donkey from the owner? Well, Jesus is God. He's the Son of God, God in the flesh. Jesus knows everything, and Jesus is very much in control of all that is happening on that first Palm Sunday. Yes, while this Palm Sunday, this impromptu parade of palms, ultimately proves to be Jesus' death march, he knows this is going to happen. For he's told his disciples previously that he's going to Jerusalem to be betrayed, to be killed, crucified, but on the third day, he will be raised. Is our God is very much in control, as we can see in our text this morning. And it's interesting that that, that in the first century, when Jesus made his statement affirming the children that we see in Matthew 18 and now in Matthew 21, children had very few rights, even less than they do today. There wasn't child protective services to protect children to make sure that their, their voice was heard. Children were expected to be silent. Children lived very humble, had a very humble status in society. Children in the first century knew that they were not in control. They were dependent upon the goodness and the leadership of others for their survival. In both Matthew 18 and Matthew 21, Jesus is helping us see that we need to become like children with humble hearts of dependence upon God, recognizing that He and He alone is in control. And for that, we give our thanks and praise because our God is a good God, and it's good to know that He is in control is we can learn so much from our children. For in their humility, children worship God so freely. They, they don't care what other people think. They just worship God with great freedom. I remember when my uh, two daughters were young, we were serving a church in Dallas, and I was the primary preacher at the contemporary service there, and we met in a gymnasium. And when the worship music would begin, my, my two daughters, Hannah and Elizabeth, would stand up and they would just begin to dance, dance freely in front of everyone, not for show, but just in praise and glory and honor to God. In fact, they would dance so hard that they would wear themselves out so that when it came time for the sermon, they would quickly fall asleep. <laughs> At least that's what I like to tell myself since I was the preacher. <laughs> it was because they were dancing so hard. That's why they're tired. They've worn themselves out. That's why they can't listen to me. Yes, children worship God so freely, uninhibited, thankful for all that God has done for them. There's just an innate rhythm they have to worship God. I want to show a video with you this morning that helps illustrate that point today. I love that scene, you know, she's singing, worshiping, and just instinctively she raises her hands to God, giving God all the glory and praise. 
His children teach us so much in their uninhibited worship of God, thanking God for who God is and what God has done for them. Is it so important that we have children in our midst in worship? That's why we practice what we call parenting the pew. Because studies have shown that if children will learn how to worship with their parents at a very early age, they will continue to worship God for the rest of their lives. Children who only go to kids' church or children who only go to youth group never find themselves in the church as adults. Did you know that according to George Barna, 59% of millennials, and millennials are those who were born between 1981 and 1996, 59% of millennials who grew up in the church, these are our kids, people who grew up in the church have now left the church. This statistic was so troubling to the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Seminary that they did a nationwide study to discover what are some of the keys to making sure that our young people will remain active in the church after graduating from high school. Their principal finding, as I've shared in the past, was in order for young people to remain in a church body after high school, Their church experience must feel more like a family rather than an institution. Specifically, our young people need to have significant relationships with other adults within the church, not just with the youth worker and not just with their parents, but with other adults who are investing in them. In fact, Fuller Youth Institute talks about the five-to-one principle, that each child should have five adults who are pouring into them, five adults within the congregation who are praying for them, Five adults who they could easily identify who are on their team as they seek to grow in their relationship with God. Because our young people need to know that they are very important to us, that they have a a seat at the table of leadership as we seek to make decisions as a congregation. As you know, during our three-year study, a church-wide study of our congregation, where we tried to discern what are the long-range facility needs of our campus after we realized the A&O house was was no longer sustainable. We couldn't keep it forever. And with the flooding and the lack of rebar in the basement, we knew we had to, to make some changes. So we began to research and, and ask every ministry within, the, within our congregation. And as a part of that research, we actually did ask the youth and their parents, what do you need to continue to grow in your ministry? As we listened to the youth talk to us, they told us very clearly that they don't just need a, another room inside of our neo-Gothic style building. What they really need in order to continue to reach their de-churched and their unchurched friends is a larger Ano house, a house that looks like a fraternity house. In fact, our architects met with the youth and their parents. And they interviewed them, and we've got a beautiful picture I want to share with you of that house. You've probably seen it already before in the Great Hall, but I think we're going to show that picture again. It's this house that young people are drawn to. It's this house with its fraternity-style look that the de-churched and the unchurched kid in Amarillo is more than welcome and ready to come and enter into so they might fellowship in this much larger house that will be twice the size of our current Ano house. For over the last 20 years, we have seen how successful that Ano house has been at reaching that unchurched and that de-churched kid, allowing them to make that entry into Christian fellowship. For we have found that among young people, belonging leads to believing. And as they fellowship in this new house, they'll begin to experience the love of Christ firsthand, and they will begin to know what it means to follow him. And they will make commitments, as we've seen many young people do over the years, commitments to follow Christ. And as they commit to follow Christ in our youth group, they they will then become a part of our church, our larger body together. And when we interviewed our kids' ministry, we also learned that we have a preschool playground, but not an elementary age playground. We learned that our children's wing lacks the a fire suppression system that most modern buildings now have to keep children safe in case of a fire. And our children's wing is not as secure as it should be from a security standpoint, according to current patterns of security and safety among modern churches today. 
Because as a church, we say that children are important to us, that the youth are important to us, but our facilities don't necessarily reflect that as we give them an old, dilapidated house to meet in and a children's ring that doesn't have an elementary age playground. My friends, I know we can do better. We want to be a children that always welcomes. We want to be a church that always welcomes children of any age and stage. For after all, that is what Jesus did, is it not? In Matthew chapter 19, we read, Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 to 14, Then the children were brought to him, to Jesus, that he may lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. When a child comes to our campus, we want to make sure that they know that there is a place for them here, that they are welcomed here, that we are so glad that they are with us because we know that we can learn from them as they also learn from us together. Yes, we want a a family, you can imagine a new family pulling up to our parking lot and see this large, expanded outdoor playground where both elementary and preschool equipment exist. And a child is checked into our new secure children's wing on the first floor. And as they they enter in, they can see this wonderful indoor preschool playground. And on those cold winter days that Amarillo often has, a a child can go and play and and enjoy the the fellowship that this church provides in this facility. And they get to hear the good news of God's love. Or as a youth is invited on a Friday night after a football game to come into our new renovated A&O house, and there's room for plenty of kids, all the young people who are coming, whether it be to play basketball outside or to just enjoy karaoke inside, to enjoy Christian fellowship as they learn the good news of God's love for them. And of course, as a part of our campaign, we want to make sure that our church is more handicap accessible so that it'll be easy for everyone of every stage to come into our facility to worship God together, to grow in the knowledge of God's great love for us. For we want every child, every young person, every adult to be able to come into this campus to hear how much God loves them. As I've shared in the past, this campaign is really not about about a building. It's about discipleship. It's about making sure that young people have easy access to this campus. It's about making sure that, that they know that there's a place for them. It's about making sure that every person of every stage, no matter mobility issues, can easily get into our sanctuary to hear the good news of God's love, the good news that we celebrate on this Holy Week, that God who is very much in control, loves us so much that he he did not want to abandon us in our sin, but he sent his one and only son here to this earth who is without sin to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. For Jesus obeyed the law of God perfectly. He showed us what it meant to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He showed us what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. And and not only did he fulfill the moral law, but with his death on a cross, he fulfilled the sacrificial requirements of the Old Testament law. When he died on a cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Then on the third day, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might have the gift of a new life if we simply come to him. Because that's the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel that saves lives. And that's the gospel we want every young person to hear as they come into this campus, to know that God loves them. There's nothing they can do to make God love them anymore. That God loves them because he loves them. And he's offered the great gift of his son, our Savior, that we can have if we simply believe in him. And here on this campus, they might grow in their knowledge of God's love for them. Yes, we want to make sure that we always have a campus that welcomes our children. Because we can see in our text, our children often lead us in praise of Almighty God. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, 
God has prepared praise. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, as we give you thanks this day for that first Palm Sunday, we were ever mindful of the fact that when Jesus went into the temple, it was the children who continued to say, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh God, we thank you for the children who can often lead us in their humility and show us what it means to worship you freely. God, I pray that our campus and our church would continue to be a congregation that that is open and always welcoming to every child of every age and stage, that young people would be able to come here and hear the good news of your love for them so that their lives might be changed for all eternity. Oh God, continue to guide us as we seek to bring all glory and honor to you as a congregation today. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people.